We know that these days there's an app for everything, and I'm especially fond of apps that help with Christian prayer, the Mission St. Clair app, the Pray As You Go app, and I also love apps on mindfulness like Insight Timer, my current favorite, and I love how this particular app offers little two to four minute spiritual reflections. In a crazy moment of the day, what a relief it is to hear a calm person's voice saying some calm, sensible thing. The other day I listened to a segment called, rather obviously, Opportunities Instead of Obstacles. This idea, I know, nothing new. A cliche almost that every challenge is really an opportunity. So we, I heard the calm person's voice and she said, decide that everything today is an opportunity instead of an obstacle. Everything, everything, an opportunity. I almost scoffed, scoffed at the triteness of these words and at the seeming impossibility of seeing everything, even horrible things, as an opportunity. And then I stopped for a moment and imagined what would it be like if I could experience the world in this way, not just some of the time, but all of the time, relentlessly anticipating and seeing and experiencing whatever happened as opportunity, as blessing. What a way to go through the world. What a mind-bending proposition. Everything coming at you no matter what an opportunity. Here's an example from Luke's gospel that you just heard me read. Jesus says, I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, so on and so on. The opportunity not obstacle here, you have enemies, they hate you and you can love them. You can see their hatred as an opportunity for you to love. Much easier said than done, right? It makes me smile to imagine the thoughts that were running through the minds of Jesus's followers and listeners in ancient times when they heard this string of advice from him, surely they wondered, like we wonder, love my enemies? How? But wouldn't you know it, this week's passage from Joseph that you heard Arnold read this morning, that passage from Genesis, is a case study. You probably remember the story of Joseph, the, Joseph that famous story of the favorite son of Jacob, whose nine half-brothers, wild with jealousy, 
drop him down in a well and plan to go back later and kill him and then change their minds and sell him into slavery in Egypt. And then, as if that wasn't enough, smear his long coat with goat's blood and lead their poor father Jacob to believe that his favorite son had been eaten by a wild animal. <laughs> After this, Joseph suffers many further reversals of fortune before rising to become the viceroy of all Egypt, a very powerful, highly trusted leader, a very big deal. And what's more, thanks to his dreams, his prophetic dreams, he warns Pharaoh to store grain for the coming famine and saves the nation from starvation. Meanwhile, back in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, the famine lays waste to crops and livestock and humans alike, and Jacob sends all of his sons, except for the youngest, Benjamin, to Egypt to purchase food. Joseph, Joseph, when they arrive, he recognizes them, but he doesn't let them know. Instead, he plays a kind of a cruel game of cat and mouse with these half-brothers who sold him into slavery, First, he calls them spies. Next, he demands that they go all the way back to Canaan and get their youngest brother, Benjamin, Jacob's remaining favorite, bring him back to Egypt. Then he throws all nine of them in jail, and on and on. And it makes some sense, doesn't it? This toying with his half-brothers, it reveals churning away in Joseph's heart a kind of resentment for all the past cruelty that he suffered. And this is how it goes with us humans so much of the time, isn't it? Somebody wrongs us, and in response, we think hateful thoughts about them, and we mutter curses under our breath, and, and sometimes we even seek revenge, wanting that person who caused us pain to feel some pain themselves. This is so often what humans do. Hundreds of years after Joseph's time, Jesus came along and challenged his listeners as we hear today. Again, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. These are radical words asking us to see the behavior of our enemies not as an affront, but as an opportunity to love. Like Joseph coming to see his brother's cruelty as an opportunity to love. And he does. After all of the cat and mouse toying, after that, he does. In a big reveal, he says, I am Joseph. The brothers are shocked. And then immediately, I imagine tremblingly, Joseph asks, how is my father? Imagine this man stolen from his home, away from his father, his friends, the life he knew, all of that. All of that suffering. And still, these words are nothing less than reconciliation because Joseph says 
I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or, or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh, lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And those words, years and years of suffering and exile, become an opportunity. How does Joseph do it? Remember his first reaction again, the, the toying with his awful brothers? That's how we humans so often behave, and it's messy. We get hurt, and lashing out from our pain and resentment, we make bigger and bigger messes. But then Joseph stops punishing his brothers long enough to make a little space for God to enter in. He does it when he, he blurts out, confesses, I am Joseph. That vulnerable moment when he offers them that truth. And then new words come to him. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of words coming out of your mouth that did not come through your brain. They come from somewhere else. And this is what happens to Joseph because he starts to talk about how God can and will and does use all suffering, all his suffering in this case, to bring about good Repeatedly, he says, God sent me before you, and God turned it for good. And Joseph proceeds to, to make a home for all the rotten brothers and their families in Goshen, supplying them with everything they need to thrive. What a story this is in a time like this, when we think about our own personal suffering and we think about about all of the suffering and conflict between communities between nations because it's a story about how seemingly impossible differences can be healed because when we find ourselves in impossible spaces and we do find ourselves in impossible spaces we like joseph we, we have an opportunity, and the opportunity is to make a little space for God to enter in. God takes care of the rest. That's when actual world changing starts to happen. In today's story, what happens is God actually unlocks Joseph's hard-hardened heart. Joseph's heart opens and he kisses 
all his brothers, every last would-be murdering one of them, and weeps in their arms, nothing short of a vision of heaven. But maybe you wonder, like I've been wondering this week, why this reunion with these brothers is so important to Joseph, why it brings him so much joy, why it matters so much to be reconciled with these men who, while very sorry that they got caught, don't really show us that they regret their actions at all. Why does Joseph kiss them and weep in their arms? If my family threw me down a well, I would never want to see them again. I would say, I need these dangerous, toxic people out of my life forever. That's our perfectly common modern response when other people cause us grievous harm. We say, I'm done. I've seen it many times. I've seen it thousands of times. Sisters stop speaking to one another. Parents disown children. These ruptures in human relationships are everywhere. And yet, in Joseph's time, people didn't think so much in terms of personal suffering, personal boundaries. Your people, your family, your community, the collective was actually what defined you. Taking your place among your people, no matter how they behaved, that's what made you, you. So, yes, Joseph rose to power and prominence in his adopted country, and, and yet his true identity was what mattered to him the most. The continuation of that identity for future generations mattered to Joseph, too. That's why he tells his brothers so beautifully, you shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. So everyone, everything, the whole community, I will provide for you there. The legacy continues. The legacy matters no matter the obstacles along the way. Obstacles or opportunities. I'm wondering if you've ever had the experience of having been hurt or harmed only to have some well-meaning person say to you, don't worry, God is preparing you for something better. <laughs> that is a very hard message to hear in the midst of pain, isn't it? And yet, back to my mindfulness app, that's the crazy truth of it all. Everything can be an opportunity. Every hurt, every loss, every betrayal causes us to grow and learn and prepare for what comes next. And as Christians, we believe that God is in it with us. God is with us in everything, guiding us, supporting us, making all things new, making your heart and my heart new. Amen.